Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. pray as we open God's Word together this morning. God, we have this blessed assurance because of your Son, Jesus. And yet in the midst of uh, our world today, our assurance gets torn down by so many different things. Doubts begin to creep in. Questions about whether you hear our prayers. Questions about where you are and how uh, you'll protect us in the midst of challenging times with uh, so many things going on around us. And so God, I pray for this congregation, that we can be a light, that we can be a city set on a hill uh, to exclaim, uh, proclaim the, the kingdom of God, to put that on display to our community around us. And I pray for each family, each person who is uh, worshiping with us right now or, or maybe in the days to come or picking up this message. I just pray you would bring a, a blessing on their lives right now, God, that you would pour your spirit into them to be able to hear and to be able to put into practice the things that you teach us from your word. As we start into this journey with the story, God, your story, I pray that you would remind us of why Scripture is such a powerful thing in our lives, how it is the very uh, story that gives us a narrative to live into in our own lives, even today, that though the last words of Revelation 22 end in a particular fashion, you're still writing your story through modern-day heroes and modern-day villains, all the people who through your grace are caught up in this story of the kingdom uh, that you have brought to earth. God, we want to be a part of that story. And so I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching, of storytelling, so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, Scott Mamaday is an uh, American Indian writer, professor of literature in, in Southern California, and he tells the story of when he was a small boy and his father woke him up early in the morning and said, I want you to go with me. So his father took him by the hand and led him sleepily to the house of an old squaw and left him saying, I'll get you this afternoon. And all day long, that old squaw of the Kiowa tribe told stories to the boy, sang songs, described rituals told the history of the Kiowa people. She told the boy how the tribe began out of a hollow log in the Yellowstone River of the migration southward, the wars with other tribes, the great blizzards, the buffalo hunt, the coming of the white man, the starvation, the diminished tribe, and finally reservation and confinement. And about when it was dark, the father came and said, son, it's time to go. And Mama Day said, I left her house, a Kiowa, 
Fred Craddock, one of the great preachers of the 20th century, tells that story and then asks this important question that I think sets the stage for what we're about to engage in this story together. He says, when youngsters leave our church building, do they leave Christian? See, to be Christian is to be enrolled in a story. And anybody who cannot remember any further back than his or her birth is an orphan. Well, they're not leaving our buildings right now. Maybe that question can be asked of our homes as well. How do the stories that we tell enroll our young people, enroll us, into a common narrative that gives us identity and a purpose in our lives? That's the question. An orphan is anyone who doesn't have a story. You are part of a family because of the stories that are told. Like it or not, every single family on planet Earth has a storyteller, a keeper of the family stories. Some families have great storytellers. Other families have Uncle Fred who tells the same story every single Thanksgiving. But like it or not, families are built around the stories we tell. Marriages are the same. They're built on stories. And that's part of the grief that comes with losing one's spouse. Is all those uh, stories that no one else knows of the first kiss, of the first time you held hands, uh, of the sweet gifts that were given and the inside jokes, all of those are in some way lost when we lose our spouse. We may remember those stories, but it's hard to celebrate that with others who don't know all the ins and outs of that relationship, of that lifetime spent together. Now, when I first started dating Holly, we were in high school, and I remember one evening when I was hanging out with her and her friends, and I remember feeling more an outsider than I'd ever felt before, because these were the friends she'd been doing life with, youth group friends, friends from school, and and as I hung out with them, they had all these stories that they had accumulated. They, They talked about all these moments in the past where funny things had happened and the inside jokes that they had, and I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to break into her story. I don't know if I'm ever going to make sense and and be able to laugh at all these stories. I don't get all these jokes. I don't have the experiences in the past that she and her friends have. But that slowly began to change. Because as we experienced life together, I came to appreciate those stories more, and we began to tell and create stories of our own. For any marriage or relationship to thrive, you have to commit to making new stories together. Now, a marriage is many things, but one thing it must be is a commitment to create a new identity around new stories that you will retell over and over again to your kids not really wanting to hear those stories again and again and again. We are narrative creatures. We are storytelling human beings. And because we love stories so much, our primary orientation in identity is inextricably linked to the narratives that we choose to tell, that comprise our memories, our conversations, and our emotional responses. Or to put it more plainly, we are the stories that we tell ourselves. That's right, we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And here's the reality in 2020. There are companies, news stations, political parties, and social media timelines that are recruiting us every single day to find our identity in particular stories and narratives that they're spinning. Commercials and advertisements, if you pay close attention, are stories, aren't they? Stories that invite you to find your life in their narrative. Every news station, 
from Breitbart to MSNBC is strategically cropping and spinning a narrative that fits a particular agenda, a particular worldview that they want to enlist you into their story. Here's the reality. As your preacher, I have about 30 minutes every single week to tell a story in such a provocative, intriguing way to overcome the many more hours that others are getting to tell stories to enlist you in theirs as well. And that's why this story that we're entering into is so important because in the midst of ad agencies and sports marketing firms and news networks who have many more hours with you than I do, it's important that we as a congregation not just think about how we engage in the story of God on Sunday mornings, but how we do that throughout the week and how we enroll our kids in these stories. That when they leave our homes, they're Christians because of the stories we've told. And ultimately, that's why we've chosen to re-engage the story over the next 31 weeks. Now, many of us have Bibles on our nightstands and bookshelves, but many of us don't make a habit of reading those Bibles. Did you know that the average family actually owns four Bibles, not just Christians, in America overall, and yet 41% confess to never really reading it? Now, why do you think that's so? Why do we have all these Bibles and and we don't really crack them open all that often. I don't think it's because of a lack of desire. Other research shows us that, that most people, not just believers, have reading the Bible on their bucket list. It's something they want to accomplish and, and know about before they die. And what that means is this would be a perfect series to invite your neighbors and friends, many of whom you may think, man, I don't think they're Christians at all. Well, there's a good chance they have a Bible on their shelf somewhere, and they even have on their bucket list an idea that at some point in their life they'll read that story and they'll make a decision about if this story is the one they want to give their life to. So maybe you're worshiping at home next week and you've got a neighbor or friend you want to invite. Maybe, maybe you want to invite them into your home and, and have a worship time together in your home and, and, and allow them a chance to engage in the story with us as we enter into the series. Or maybe you'll be worshiping with us at the building and they feel comfortable to do the same. Invite them to join us. Make sure you register everyone and we'd love to have you here next week. There's no one that we're going to turn away as we try to tell this story well. We have extra story Bibles as well that you can purchase or we can make sure we put into the hands of, of anyone who wants to know more about the story of God. Now, a couple of things I want to tell you about the story as we enter into this because uh, your Bible looks a little different than this story Bible that you're going to receive later on tonight if you've registered or, or will be here tonight. Story is a large portion of the Bible, but it's not the Bible in its entirety. It offers us a way to read through the Bible to get a sense of the larger story that, that occurs from Genesis all the way through Revelation. But it's different than most of the Bibles you might have on your shelf in a couple of ways. One, one of the ways it's different is it doesn't have chapters and verses uh, they've been removed from the Bible so that it reads more like a, a book or a novel, a, a piece of nonfiction, even uh, uh, that we're reading uh, the story of God rather than many of the fiction books that we read out there. Um, and by the way, for 1,400 years, that was how the Bible actually showed up. It wasn't until about 1550 that we inserted chapters and verses in order to kind of find our way around a little better together. Now, there's another way that this is actually different than the Bible you have. Sometimes you're going to be reading along in the story and you're going to read a, a sort of new paragraph and realize, whoa, that's, that sounds a little different than what I was reading before. See, occasionally the editors of the story will incorporate a passage from another part of the Bible that helps elucidate and understand the larger picture of what God's doing. For, for example, in the book of Genesis, uh, 
when you're reading uh, about the story of Abraham about to sacrifice his son Isaac, you'll suddenly come across a paragraph from the book of Hebrews that gets pulled back into the Genesis story because in Hebrews it talks about the story of Abraham and Isaac and the faith that uh, Abraham showed in that scene. So sometimes uh, the, the, the pages remind us of the larger story and help us kind of zoom out to see the big picture of what God's doing. Now, let me say a word about how to get the most out of the story. For those of you that may be new to this, some of you may have been through this before. I've preached this story in a previous congregation. Some of you have been part of this congregation many years ago where, where we actually went through it here as well. But there's uh, some ways I think that we can re-engage the story well. The first of those is this. I want you to read up. Read up. If you don't read the chapter, uh, but you join us on Sundays, I want to tell you, you'll still get something out of the message. Obviously, we're dealing with the Word of God, but it's a little bit like this. It's a little bit like me handing you a bottle of water when there's a river over here that you could jump into and enjoy. And I would tell you, don't grab the bottle of water I'm going to hand to you alone. No, jump into the river. Be engaged in the chapter leading up to uh, that coming Sunday and allow God to speak to you in a powerful way, uh, through a way only He can through His Word. So you're gonna, what you're going to want to do is get the story and you're going to want to read that chapter ahead of the upcoming Sunday so uh, that I can deal with the same material you've been focused in on and teaching your kids that week. So first, uh, read up. Second, write up. Uh, allow this story uh, Bible to be something you underline and you write in the margins things and you mark up. Maybe you want to get a journal to journal along and, and record the things that God speaks to you in the midst of these 31 weeks. In fact, I want to suggest a few questions that you think about asking uh, while you're reading these chapters, while you're engaging God through Scripture. First, uh, what did you read that's new to you? Now, some of us have read these stories a lot of times, and we're going to think, what new could I find? But it's amazing when I go back to Scripture, the same old stories I've read again and again, how God speaks in new ways through the circumstances I'm in. So what's new to you? Some of you, this may be the first time you're reading through the Bible, and it may all seem new to you, but what are the new ideas? What are the new things? Write those things down. What did you read that touched you? You see, the Holy Spirit works when we read Scripture and continues uh, to form us through the power of the Word of God. And so, uh, likely, if you're reading these chapters, you're going to have moments where the Holy Spirit touches you in some way through these words, impacts your life, calls you to something big. Write those things down. What did you read that stumps you? There's a lot in the Bible that's confusing for us. So there may be questions that emerge, and maybe at the end of the chapter you want to write what those questions are, and, and maybe I'll deal with some of them in the sermons, but maybe those will be questions you can bring to your small group uh, that you're in to engage in those questions and ask others uh, who are also empowered by the Holy Spirit, what do you make of this? How does that make sense to you? And then finally, fourth, what, what is it that you're reading that challenges you? Uh, scripture ought to not just be something we read for pleasure. It's something that can be enjoyable, but it's also something that should challenge us to take the next steps in our journey of faith toward the abundant life in Jesus. And so what is the challenges you? Write that down. So we want you to, to read up and write up. We also want you to show up. Here's how this is going to work. Tonight, you're going to have the chance, as I mentioned, at 6.30 to come to the building and get your chapter of the story. And this week, leading up to next Sunday on the 20th, our assignment as a church is to read chapter 1 of the story, which is basically this, uh, Genesis 1 through 8. It's not all of the words there. It's, it's a summary of that section with verses that are taken out to deal with the story of creation, Cain and Abel, the flood story. And, and so we'd love for you to pick up your materials tonight so that you can begin to read uh, and be prepared for next Sunday. And each Sunday, I'm going to take whatever chapter we've been reading as a congregation out of the Word of God, and I'm going to... Uh, 
speak to that chapter. I'm going to also do some application in that chapter. So this week, you're going to read chapter 1 in preparation for next Sunday, and then on it goes. Next week, you'll read chapter 2, and I'll be prepared to do that. So we want you to do that, to read up, to write up, to show up, and finally to speak up. We want you to get with a group of people so that we can be talking through Scripture together and learning from one another. Our connect groups and our community groups are so important to the formation that happens in our lives to make sure that people are doing life with us, that we don't feel alone. And you may be disconnected from groups right now with the season of life we've been in. We've got group leaders that are ready and excited to engage in this material and to, uh, to read the Word of God together and to challenge and encourage each other in the weeks to come. We've got more groups, in fact, that we're trying to form. And so that's why it's important that you register and let us know how uh, you want to be a part of a group. And I know that our, our, our ministers will be following up with you in the coming days uh, when you click what it is you're desiring. If it's a new group or you want to meet here at the building in some way or online, we, we have all kinds of groups that we want to help to engage you if you're not yet a part of a group. And, and this is a perfect time to be doing that as we start in the story. And our small groups will be reviewing the previous week's reading and sharing uh, with each other their takeaways and, and talk a little bit about the message uh, as well. Our leaders have been praying about what the story will do for us as a congregation. And here's some of the hopes that I have as we enter into this journey together uh, over the next uh, six months or so together. Uh, first, here's one of my hopes. My hope is that we will read more of the Bible than we ever have. The story is powerful of God. Almost all fiction is story-based. People's hearts are moved by epic stories told by Marvel and, and stories on Netflix and other places. Many of us love biographies for the same reason. They're stories of people with the conflict that comes and the way they overcome that conflict. We love stories. We're made for stories. So what does that have to do with reading the Bible? Originally, as I said, uh, the Bible didn't have chapters and verses because it wasn't written as a step-by-step instruction uh, guide or rule book. Certainly there are laws and commands in the Word of God, but, but the Bible tells stories, true stories. It, it tells a, a, a true overarching story of how God is engaged in the world and how God continues to do so. We're going to learn to fall in love with this story all over again. Maybe you remember these stories from VBS and from children's Bibles. Your grandmother or your, your mother read to you growing up. Your, your, your dad, I don't know who it was that invited you into faith. Maybe, maybe it's something you're getting for the first time now. But I want to tell you, this story is powerful and it invites us to a certain way of life uh, together as a congregation. Second, uh, the story will help us read and process more of the Bible in context. A lot of people's exposure to the Bible is as a source uh, for proof texts, which are basically taking one isolated verse from here and one isolated verse from there to say sometimes whatever we want it to say. Think of the pastor who went to visit one of his uh, older widows of the church where he served. And she never came to the door, uh, uh, but he saw that her car was in the driveway. So thinking he'd be cute, he, he left his card on the welcome mat and wrote on the back a scripture uh, reference, Revelation 3.20, which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, the following Sunday after church, he walked out to his car and found a note underneath his wiper blades of his car. It was in her handwriting. And all it said was Genesis 3.7, which says, I heard you, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. <laughs> now, suffice to say, you can take isolated verses in the Bible to say lots of things. Reading the Bible chronologically with the story is going to help us read it, though, in the context of all that God is doing through the larger story. 
So we want to read the Bible, but we also want to read it in context, and this will help us do just that. Third, the story will help us discern truth in the midst of all the truthiness we see all around us. I think it was fake news uh, TV anchor Stephen Colbert who coined the term truthiness. We live in a world of relativism where truth is relative to so many people. What's true for you may be true for you, and what's true for me may be true for me. There's a lot of truthiness about God that floats around these days. Stuff that sounds true, stuff we want to be true. Perhaps you've heard people say, God just wants me to be happy. Or God helps those who help themselves. Those actually aren't ideas that were found in Scripture. And one of the things the story will do for us is help us see the truth and what is not truth in the midst of the truthiness that's all around us. The fourth thing I hope the story will help us do is to unite us around the story of Scripture. There's so much division that's going on around us right now. So many reasons to find small differences between us that can keep us separate forever. We need a story in this season to unite around. In the midst of the division we feel all around us, we need Scripture to be the thing that we read that reminds us of what we're called into as the people of God. If we are the stories we tell ourselves, we need a a common story that does more than unite us around a common enemy or a narrative of difference. We need the story of God to do the work that we cannot do on our own. And I can't wait to see how this study will unite us not around a common enemy or not around all these other things that tend to unite people and culture, but around a story that invites us into a way of life together. Last, my hope is that the the story will help us connect the dots between the stories in the Bible and the big story throughout the Bible. One of the editors of the story, uh, a guy named Randy Frazee, who's a uh, senior pastor at the uh, Oak Hills Church of Christ in, in, uh, in San Antonio, helped me think of it uh, this way. He says, think of uh, a museum like the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Have you been there before? I, I can imagine those steps and walking in in the, in the you know, art that I saw. Or, or maybe uh, the Louvre in Paris, if you've been there before. Inside those museums are incredible pieces of art. For instance, the Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci, is in the Louvre. It's valued at $700 million. Now, in museums of art, there's a story behind every picture. But the pictures stand on their own, independent of one another, and they often have no relationship to the pieces that are right next to them. And that's often how we read the Bible. But now, let me take you somewhere different that has a different sense of art. Uh, Go with me, if you would, if you've been there, to the Sistine Chapel. Imagine the ceiling that's all around with those paintings that Michelangelo painted on his back for years. His greatest work, some would say. There's 300 biblical characters that are on that ceiling. Adam, Eve, Noah, Jacob, David, and and many more. And each character is a particular scene. A story depicted in this massive mural. And, and, And what... Michelangelo does in such a wonderful way as he's painting a larger story with all of these individual pictures. It's not like the Mona Lisa in a place like an art museum. It's, it's not one story disconnected from another. No, it's all of these that tell the larger story of God's plan to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. The Louvre has thousands of incredible but unrelated pictures. It tells a thousand stories. The Sistine Chapel, though, has so many incredible pictures and stories, but they're all related, and ultimately, they tell one story. And when I think about the Bible, it's more like a mural 
that tells one big story than just a museum with scattered stories that don't have any coherence. And all of these stories, they're to point us to Jesus, who is the center of the story. Jesus, who offers us relationship with the author of the story, who is God himself. As we're thinking about stories, let me end our time this morning with one more story. The great preacher and author, Barbara Brown Taylor, tells the story of a student in one of her seminary classes who bore a tattoo on her arm that read, and. That's all it said. When Taylor saw this tattoo after class, he went up to the student and said, and? And what? And and the student said, oh, this? She was pointing to her tattoo, and, and she says, part of an experiment. Actually, it's a living novel project. Huh? Responded Taylor. Many of us have a favorite author, the student said. And this author created a living novel project. He's recruiting people to take one word from the larger story and novel and to tattoo it on their body somewhere. Somehow she got the word ant. Well, the professor Taylor says, and and this means something to you? She said, yes, it means a lot. I don't have to bear the whole story. I just have to bear one word. Taylor went on to say that this really helped her understand God and God's story a lot better. She loved this idea of God as the particular author. And the author looks around knowing that he's, he's given one person, each one, just one word to speak into the world to tell the larger story. One word to bear on our bodies on behalf of the world. So what's your word that you're to speak to the world on behalf of the larger story? What word is God asking you to bear in the world? In the story of Scripture, each person bears just a word. Part of the larger story in the novel that God is trying to write and create in the world. Just one word to bear before the world's eyes. God's not finished writing this story. Abraham bears a word. Jacob and Isaac, they they bear words. Esther and Rahab, they, they bear words. And you're called to bear a word. Just one word. It may be and, or it may be something that stands out a little more than that. My prayer over the next 31 weeks is that you'll discover through this story, through this mural, through the larger story of what God's doing. And once we get a sense of that story, we'll get to understand that we have a word to bear as well. We have a story to tell in our own lives that reflects the salvation that God is bringing to the larger world. And my prayer is that we'll be confident at the end of this time to be able to bear that word boldly as we speak it boldly in the name of Jesus, and as we live it out on our bodies as well. Let us pray together as we close our time in the Word this morning. Father, I thank you for the story that you have given to us that has been handed down throughout the generations, that has been preserved on scrolls and parchments, and now into these scriptures that we take sometimes for granted on our bookshelves. God, my prayer is that as we engage these stories over the next 31 weeks as a congregation, that we would be brought back to the life that many of us once had, that you would ignite our lampstands if they've been snuffed out, that you would inspire us, that you would remind us of the stories you ask us to tell the world, just the one word we're called to bear in the world. God, I, I know a lot of us, God, we've got so many stories that are rumbling around our minds and our brains. All the time we're being recruited to uh, bear words on behalf of other stories. But my belief, God, in my own life and what I need to be reconvinced of is there is no story better that we can bear a word on 
of, on, on behalf of anyone other than this story, the story of Scripture, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of what you are doing to write into history the new heavens and the new earth where you will restore all things. We want to be enrolled in that story, God. When we leave uh, this building when we're together, when we leave our homes, we want to be reminded that we leave as little Christians, as little Christ, God, that are called out into the world to bear your good news, just the one word you've given us to write. So God, would you remind us of this story in the coming days? Would you unite us around this common vision once again? Would you help us to see your words in context and would your Holy Spirit move in a powerful way in our community as we seek to be your light, engaging our community and ourselves in the story that you've written? And God, we confess this morning you are not done writing that story. There are still chapters to be written. God, we pray that you would allow us to be people through which you write that story. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.